And we are starting a brand new series today called We Are, as you saw just in the intro, we are kicking off a summer series in the book of Ephesians. How many read Ephesians before? Man, it's a great book, and uh, if you've never read it, you're going to get a chance to go through it with us today and uh, throughout the next six weeks as we dive into this book of uh, Ephesians and looking at this study of We Are. And I'm really excited about this because, one, this is one of my favorite books in all of the Bible. You'll find out why as we go along in this series. And then, two, is we're going to teach it, we're going to study it, we're going to memorize it. And uh, one of the cool things is we have given you uh, some resources online. If you go, you want to maybe write this at the top of your notes, www.oscconnect.com. If you go to that website, that is our church website, right there, you're going to see this little logo right when you go onto that screen, you click it and there's going to be a downloadable um, PDF that is a devotional that we put together for this whole series. It's going to be uh, every week we'll have a devotional that goes along with it with uh, scripture to memorize, uh, things that you can learn and study more, all of that. And so we encourage you to go online and do that. We'll do all this together. So uh, let me real quick give you a little back history on Ephesians and then we'll dive into Ephesians chapter one. Every week we're going to take a chapter. We don't have enough time to go verse by verse by verse. So we're just going to kind of take little segments of each chapter and really just share a big thought out of each one of those today. Today we are talking about We Are Chosen. That is the title of today's uh, message. Ephesians was written by the Apostle Paul in prison. He was in prison, in the Roman prison, and he wrote this letter. In those days, the epistles, which are, which is Ephesians is one of the epistles, were letters. And uh, most of them were all written by Paul. And he wrote a lot of these actually in prison. And what he would do is he would write these letters and then he would send them to whoever the churches that he was wanting to read these. And so for this, it was the churches of Ephesus. There was a number of churches in this region. So this is literally how it would go. Imagine this. Imagine if Pastor Bubba wasn't here and Pastor Bubba was in prison and he wrote a letter and he sent it to us and people would congregate together and someone would stand up and they would read the letter. And this is what Paul says. And they would just read it all the way through. You could read all of Ephesians in probably about 15 minutes. And they would read this all the way through. And that is how Paul would communicate with the churches. And so Ephesians is the book to Ephesus. Now, Ephesus is a very huge city. It's a multicultural city. Um, has a lot of influence, a lot of different types of people, a lot of different types of religions. Uh, Ephesus is known for that. Um, you'll see also in Ephesus, there's a lot of things that are going on in there. We'll get in this in the chapters to go. But he is writing to Christians and he's writing this to that. Now, one of the things you're going to see in this um, book of Ephesians is these two words, in Christ. In Christ. All throughout the six chapters of Ephesians, you're going to see in Christ over 30 times. Because what Paul is trying to communicate, and the, really the main theme of Ephesians, is our identity. Who we are in Christ. And so for the next six weeks, we're going to look at six different things that Ephesians tells us that we are in Christ. Now we debated actually as a, as a pastoral staff, all of us four guys got together. Well, yeah, four of us. And we, we were thinking about calling this series, you are. Um, and then we were going to say, you are chosen, you are this. But the more and more we actually read through the book, we realized that there's this emphasis, not really on you, but on we. That we are this together. And so that's where we came up with this title for this series. That we are, 
And today we'll talk about chosen. So turn in your notes or your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. If you got your notes, wave them at me just so I can see them. Yeah, good. Okay, and you can just fan yourself too. Double. I mean, you write notes and fan yourself. It's awesome. All right. So that's a little extra bonus for you. Um, So Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 is where we're going to start today. We're going to read verses 3 through 4 in just a minute. But verses 3 through 13 is Paul. And let me just tell you something. Paul is really, 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 really excited about what he's about to share. He is so excited that he doesn't stop to take a breath. He shares uh, Ephesians 1, 3 through 14 in one huge, long, run-on sentence. He is so excited to tell you what God has done for you that he doesn't stop to breathe. Anybody know people like that? They just talk so fast. You're like, slow down. Okay, just slow down here. This is what Paul is doing. In the Greek, there is actually no punctuation marks in chapter, in verses 3 through 14. None. It is one long run-on sentence. Now, in your translations, there's going to be some periods and different things. But in the Greek, it's 202 words without taking a breath. And so he's so excited about what he wants to share with you. And I am too. And so we're going to jump in in verse 3. And this is where he goes. He says, all praise to God. This is how he begins it all. Now remember, where is Paul? Okay, just want to make sure we always remind ourselves where he's at. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Because, what's those two words? All right, let's try it again. Because... There we go. There's our title. We are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and he chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. All right, let's pray. Father, we come to you in this time together. We open up your word and we ask you that you would breathe life in it. And I pray, God, that through the reading of your word, that our eyes would be opened and we would see you in ways that we've never seen you before. God, I pray that you would remind us who we are. And maybe even for some, God, this is a, a revelation of who they are in you. God, we thank you for this. God, we thank you for each person that was able to be here today. And praise God for air conditioning. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Yeah, if you don't say amen, I'll turn it off. I'll turn the heater on. Uh how many of you remember back in maybe your elementary school days going out on the playground, maybe either during recess or maybe after school, getting a bunch of buddies together? One of my favorite games to play in elementary school was the good old-fashioned game of kickball. Anybody remember kickball? I absolutely love kickball. I'm, I'm actually starting an adult kickball here in Jennings. It's a tournament. It's gonna, no, I'm just joking. It's not... <laughs> I'm like, seriously? <laughs> Sign me up! And so, uh, I don't know how many of y'all remember those days. Maybe it was a kickball, maybe it was football or baseball or some other kind of activity or sport. But, you know, for us, it was kickball. We loved playing kickball because you only needed a ball, really. And it, it was for it was a poor people's game. Okay, so that's what it was. Uh, and so, <laughs> didn't need a glove or a bat. You just need a foot and a ball, and you're good to go. And And I don't know if you remember how that came about of how you would divide teams. And usually you would get all the neighborhood or your, you know, your classmates together. Who wants to play? And everybody kind of gets on the field. And then what you would do is you would normally choose a captain, right? Two. And normally for the most part, they were either the bullies or the really, really athletic guys. 
for the most part. So you get these two guys. And so then, of course, there's either the, the flipping of a coin or there's just arm wrestling. And we did a lot of things to figure out who got to choose first. And then you get a guy, that whoever finally gets to choose first, and they make their first pick. First pick of the kickball draft is, and then they, they would make that choice. And how many know if you were picked first, there was so much pride that welled up in you? Like, I mean, like, you like, you like, everybody back away, strut up, strut up on the, you know, you get to your side and then it's you and your, your captain and then the other guy. Then, so he then now gets second choice. And then you would go through this list of one would pick one, then the next one pick one, the next one pick one, the next one pick one. And, and how many you know, the worst part of it all, though, came down to the last two, right? So you got your captain over here and you're all like, Carnegie. No, no, no. He's slow. No, he's... And so you're talking... And then he turns around and he goes, I pick you. Now, how many of you know the person who didn't get picked, that is the walk of shame, right? Raise your hand if you were the last person to ever get... No, just put your hands down. I'm just kidding, all right? We're praying for you. Listen, there's a lot of healing Jesus can do for you if you were the last to be chosen. I understand. I've been on the, and how many know that is the walk of shame? Just like the walk of pride for the person who got picked, the person who got last, you, it's like the other guy and the other team's like, fine, we'll take you. And you're like, and you, you kind of walk over your team knowing that nobody wants you. Nobody wants you. That is the walk of shame. But I'm here to tell you today that if you are a Christian and you know God, for all of eternity, you have been on God's heart. He has chosen you. He has picked you. And you're not last. He has chosen you. This verse tells us that before the world was made, that God loved you and chose you. You know what that tells me? Before there was ever you, your parents, or anybody else, God loved you. Before there was a past that you had. God loved you. Before you could ever make a mistake, God loved you. Before you could even have any successes or accomplishments, God loved you and he chose you. And that is good news for you and I because we know that God is a God who chose us. And we'll get into this in just a minute, not because of something he saw in us. He chose you and he chose me. Thank God he doesn't choose like the people on the playground, by the way. He chooses in a whole different way. You'll see that in just a minute. Has it ever dawned on you that God has never had anything dawn on him? Think about that. Has it ever dawned on you that nothing has ever dawned God? What I mean by that is if you've ever been married for a certain duration of time and you, you know, you got to know that person for a while and then maybe you've been married for a certain extended amount of time and then you learn something new about your spouse. You're like, I never knew that. Like, I didn't know you didn't like that, or I didn't know you liked that. We, we do that all the time in marriages all the time. But I, I just want you to know that with God, God doesn't kind of get into a relationship with you and then be like, whoa, wait, hold up. I didn't know you had that. I didn't know you did that. Oh, my goodness, what? Nothing has ever dawned on God. God's always known you before you were even born. He knows your past. He knows your present. And he even knows your future. And yet this verse tells us that God loves us. And he chose us. 
Let me show you another verse, John chapter 15, about this idea of God choosing us. There's so many verses in Scripture, way too many than I have time to share with you. But John 15 is one of them, and this is what it says. It says, you did not choose who? This is what Jesus is saying. Jesus says, you didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. Now, anytime I do a study like this, there's always all these questions that come up in my mind. Of, and, and I'm going to tell you one of the big questions that, that, that I was thinking as I was preparing for this message is, why did he choose me? You ever thought about that? Like, why did he choose me? Like, why me? I mean, out of everybody in this world, why did he choose me? I mean, did he like look down and say, man, Josh, I got to have him on my team. He's a good one. All right, put him aside. All right, let's look at her. Oh, she can sing. Oh, she'll be a good one. Get her on the team. Okay, get him. He can talk. Get him. Oh, he can play an instrument. Get him. Oh, he's got a really good heart. Get him. Like, did God choose like that? Did he choose like we did on the playground where he looked at the giftings and the talents and said, I've got to have that person on my team. So I choose them. Like, why did he choose us? Well, if we go to Deuteronomy, I think we can get a little bit of a look at how God chooses us and why he chooses us. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is what God tells the children of Israel who are God's people. This is what he tells them. The Lord your God has what? Has chosen you to be the people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all people, but just because the Lord loved you. Well, maybe you're saying, well, maybe God chose me because he knew deep down in my heart, I really have a good heart. A lot of us honestly think that God chose us because we're just really good people. He probably looked down and said, you know what? I think that guy's a pretty good guy. I think if I give him a chance and get him into the family, he'll be good. But you know what? If you fast forward in Deuteronomy chapter 9, look at why God chooses the Israelites. It's not because of a good heart. Look, it says, no, verse nine, uh, chapter 9, verse 6. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness. For you are a... Let's say that one out loud. You are a <laughs> anybody ever told you that like your wife or your husband stubborn. You are so stubborn. You are so hard headed. You are so there's adjectives. We're in church, so I can't give all those. But you've ever had someone describe that about you. Well, God described that about his own people. Hey, you want to know why I chose the children of Israel? They are so stubborn. They are hard-headed people. So anybody in here that you've been called stubborn or hard-headed, God chose you too. It's good news for you and I. He's stubborn. But do you want to know why God chose stubborn people like the children of Israel? Let's throw, throw the last verse back up there, the Deuteronomy chapter 7. Look at the very end of that verse. What does it say? It says, but just, be, look, go back to Deuteronomy 7. The one right before that. We'll get there eventually. There we go. Okay. For you are the fewest of all people, but just because the Lord loved you. So why did he choose you? Because he loves you. That was it. He chose you because he loves you. He absolutely loves you. Me? Yes. He absolutely loves you. Now, I don't know about y'all, if, if you're single in here, maybe you have this. 
you know, when, when I was single and was looking for a spouse, looking to get married, I had a list. I don't know anybody else in here has a list, but I had a list, you know, and, and, and as a, as a future spouse, there's certain requirements that I needed my future spouse to meet in order for her to gain my full love, overwhelming love. And so, you know, okay, she's got to love God. That's first, definitely. She's got to be hot. That's definitely got to be it. She's got to not be cray-cray at all. She's got to be hot. She's got to love God. I was pretty simple, okay? I mean, don't judge me, all right? My wife fits all of those. She's hot, she loves God, and she's not crazy. All right. And so she, she fit all those. And so maybe you have that. Maybe you have a list for your potential man of your dreams or woman of your dreams. But can I just say this? God doesn't have a list. When he chooses who's going to be in his family, he doesn't have a list. He doesn't say, okay, she's got to do this and he's got to be like this and he can't be doing this and he can't have this. God doesn't have a list. He chose you without the list. He chose you before there ever was one, before there ever is anything. He chose you. Now, I've done a lot of, I've done a lot of weddings. I've performed a lot of, like, I haven't married a lot. Of, I've performed a lot of ceremonies. Let me just make sure this is all out there. So I've performed a lot of ceremonies, and I've never seen an ugly bride. Every bride that comes down that walkway is absolutely gorgeous and beautiful. Even though if they're not beautiful in normal life, they are absolutely beautiful <laughs> It's just the truth. Somebody's got to shoot straight, okay? <laughs> it's just how it is. I've never met an ugly bride. I've never, I've never stood right here with a guy by me. And she comes down. I'm like, have you seen this? Are you, are you sure? There's double doors right there. I mean, it's not too late. We can, at any time, we can make this exit. Like, I've never done that. Because every bride that has ever come down is absolutely beautiful. Every bride that I've ever seen is absolutely gorgeous. But yet I've walked through a lot of divorces. So what happened? The bride was gorgeous. But something happened where that gorgeous, awesome-looking thing wasn't as awesome anymore. What happened? Did she change? she not look as good anymore? Or was there something aside to him that wasn't shown on the wedding day? Here's, here, here's why I say all this. Let, let me ask you this. Would any of you marry somebody knowing that every day that spouse is going to cheat on you? Hold on. Yet God chooses people who every day cheat on him. Think about that. Think about that. You would not marry anybody that you, that you said, I love and I pledge my allegiance to you and know that they're going to be cheating on you. And yet God knows before the world begins all of our flaws, all of our unloveliness and still says, I choose you. Think about that. That is mind-blowing to think that God sees the ugly side of us and yet still says, I choose you. I choose you. See, God doesn't love us because we're lovely. God loves us to make us lovely. 
That's what he does. And so with all of this, because we are coming to this revelation of that we are chosen, and let me just say this, for the next six weeks, as we go into each one of these of what we are, if you don't understand and fully grasp this idea of we are chosen, you won't grasp all the other ones. This has to be the foundation of everything because this is what our salvation depends on. You are saved because you are chosen. And so we see all throughout scripture this idea that God has chosen us. But what does that mean? What does it do inside of us when we understand that we're chosen? There's four words that I want to give you that, sh- that are responses, things that should be produced in our life because we believe that we are chosen people. So here's the first one. Write this down. Confidence. Confidence. The number one thing is confidence. When you understand that you are chosen, you understand that you have confidence. And here's why you have confidence. Because God is always the pursuer. God is always the pursuer. Now think about this. Very beginning of God, God makes all the world, makes all the animals, and he makes Adam and Eve. And he says, hey, guys, be fruitful, be multiply. I mean, just awesome, awesome scenario. Hey, only one thing. Don't eat of this fruit. That's the only thing. Everything else is totally at your disposal. Have it. Enjoy it. Enjoy life. Enjoy everything. Well, of course, we know the one thing that God said not to have, they partook of. And the Bible says that as at, when that happened, they realized that they were naked and now they were ashamed. And what did they do? They ran and they hid. And then, now, now let me ask you this. Who initiated the relationship back again? God did. Because what ends up happening is God shows back up in the garden and this is what he says. Adam, where are you? Now, let me just say this. Anytime God asks a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. And let me even say this even further. If you play hide and go seek with God, he will always win. Okay. He always knows where you're at. I share the story before. It's like we play hide and go seek in our house and we cut off all the lights and do that with all of our boys. And at night, my youngest soul, Joel, he wears oxygen. So he's got a big old long oxygen tube, like a 60 foot oxygen tube that he has that's connected uh, to his portable oxygen that he wears at night. And so we'll play hide and go seek. So everybody goes and runs and hides. And so then I'm like, three, two, one. All right, ready or not, here I come. And, And it's easy to find Joel. Just pick up the oxygen things. Oh, there you are. How did you find me so fast? I mean, kind of gave it away. I don't know what you're saying. Anyways, the same is true with God. You may go run on the high, run and hide, but anytime he says, hey, where are you? He's not asking because he doesn't know where you are. He's asking to see if you know where you are. <laughs> That'll preach. But anyways, that's on another thing. I just want you to hear this. God is always the pursuer. When Jesus had 12 disciples, he went and he chose them. Luke chapter 15 is a metaphor of all these things. When the shepherd, when a sheep lost, who went after the sheep? The shepherd went after the sheep. The woman that had a coin and lost the coin, who went after the coin? The woman went after the coin. When the father had two sons that were lost and one son comes back, who runs after the son? The father does. Who goes outside when the older son is pouting? The father goes after the son. I want you to see this. When Jesus shows up on the scene, 
Who initiates with prostitutes and with tax collectors and with sinners? Jesus does. Jesus finds them. Jesus invites them. Jesus calls them. Jesus saves them. This is what Jesus does. Jesus is always the pursuer. God is always pursuing you way more than you're pursuing him. And that is good news. And that should give you confidence. Well, you ask, well, why should that give me confidence? Well, it should give you confidence for many of reasons. Let me ask you this question. Is the gospel A, man-loving God, or is the gospel B, God-loving man? What is it? Yeah, see? You don't even know. Or either you're not saying it. I don't know. It's B. It is God-loving man. The gospel is good news not because you loved God. The gospel is good news because God loves you. That's why it's good news. C.S. Lewis Put, put it this way. Let me, let me read C.S. Lewis for you. You got it in your notes. Can we throw that on the screen? This is what he said. C.S. Lewis said, I never had the experience of looking for God. It was the other way around. He was the hunter. So all my hunters, listen. He was the hunter, or so it seemed to me, and I was the deer. He stalked me, he took aim, and he fired This is the God that we serve, the God that pursues us. We don't convince God to take us. He convinces us to come to him. We don't win God over with our great works. He wins us over by his amazing grace. This is the God that we serve. So why is it important for your confidence that you know that God has chosen you? Because here's the deal. Many of us believe that when we're doing bad, maybe you had a bad weekend, maybe you did some stuff that you're shameful of, that now God resents you or he's distant from you. We buy into this lie all the time. We buy into this thing called karma. You know what karma is? What goes around comes around. So here's what we believe. Many people believe this falsely. There's no such thing about it, by the way. I believe what you sow, you do reap. But I don't believe in karma because karma speaks of that if you do this, then this undoubtedly is what God's going to do to you. If you disobey God, then God's going to make you pay for it. And if you do this, then God's going to do this. But when you read this Bible, God doesn't do karma. He does grace. Do you know what grace is? Is when you don't deserve it the least, he gives it to you the most. When you don't deserve grace, he gives you even more of it. That's what grace is. It's not karma. God isn't striking you down. I hear people all the time, man, God probably, God made me lose my job and God gave me cancer. No, he did not. God doesn't do that. And if your view of God is that when you're not doing well, he is totally displeased with you and doesn't love you, then you haven't understood this idea that you are chosen. Because when you're chosen, you are fully confident that God loves you you. He's closer to you than you think. He's more with you than you can even imagine. This is the God that we serve. If you are a Christian today, you have been on God's heart for all of eternity. And here's how you know if you believe in this idea of the gospel or not. When you fail, when you struggle, when you hurt, let me ask you one question and we'll be able to determine this right here. Do you run from God or do you run to him? If you run from him, it shows me you don't know God because God has a father's heart. The last thing that I want for my boys, if my boys are messed up, jacked up and hurting, I don't want them to run from me. I want them to come to me because I can help them more than they can imagine. Y'all with me here? This is the God that we serve. This is the God that I want you to know.
Because you'll have confidence that God is for you. Here's the second thing. Security. Security. Or if you're a little ghetto, security. However that works. Get a little, little shenanay up in there. Security. All right, anyways. I've got to stay on track here. Okay, Ephesians 1, verse 7. Look at this. He is so rich in kindness and grace. Whoa, whoa, whoa. hold on. Let's just back up there. He is so rich in what? So rich in it. Man, I don't know if God wants me back, man. I can't step foot back in that church. Well, Ephesians 1, 7, he's rich in kindness and grace. Don't tell me he's rich in anger or wrath. It says he's rich in kindness and grace. Now watch this. Now watch this. Two things. He purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and he forgave our sins. Two things that God does. Purchases our freedom, forgives our sins. Now a lot of people think, now listen to me on this and we've got to make sure we correct this. A lot of people think salvation is simply God forgiving you of your sins. So you blow it, you do something and you go to church and you confess. Confession. God, forgive me my sins. I've done this. I've done this. Forgive me. Okay, we good? Good. I'm going to go back out and do whatever I want to do. And then I'll come back and go, God, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. And then I'm good with God. But here's the truth. If your right standing with God is only based off of God's forgiveness, the only time that you're secure that you're going to go to heaven is when you've done your forgiveness prayers. So let me ask you this. The only time you're really secure that you're going to go to heaven is when you're not sinning. How's that going for you, by the way? Anybody ever heard of a thing called Monday? Sunday goes well. Monday doesn't start off too well sometimes. Y'all know what I'm talking about? So what happens between Sunday and Saturday when you can't get to church? The whole time you're trying to figure out like, am I saved? Am I not saved? Am I okay? Am I not okay? I mean, I got to get to church. Right? Listen to me. We've bought into the lie that God went to the cross just to forgive us of our sins. Does he? Yes. But that's not all. This verse says he also purchased our freedom. What that means is he's now not only taking care of our sins, but he has canceled the debt and he has also settled the score. Everything is settled. I want you to write this down. What God starts, he will always finish. What God starts, he will always finish. I don't know about you. Even as a Christian, I I struggle oftentimes. I have. I, I don't now because I understand this truth, but for so many years when I was first a Christian, I struggled with, am I saved? Am I not saved? Did I say the right prayer? Did I not say the right prayer? Have I asked enough forgiveness? Have I not asked enough forgiveness? And there's no confidence. There's no security if I'm going to get to heaven. And so I'm always trying to do good things and I'm always trying to make sure I pray the right things. And I'm always, and if that's you, I'm here to tell you today that you can walk out of here with total security that you know that you will make it to heaven. Because Jesus not only paid for your sins, not only did he forgive your sins, but he purchased your freedom. He purchased your freedom. Now, here's the problem. We have an enemy, though, that always wants to accuse you that you're not saved. Any of y'all ever done something stupid and then all of a sudden the lies start coming? Oh, you go to church all right. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, you really think you love God? Yeah, yeah. Look what you did. I mean, if you love God, this really wouldn't be happening. And you hear these lies and these lies and lies. We'll talk about the enemy in week six. But these are the lies that we hear. These are the lies that we believe. But I want to read this verse to you. Romans 8, 31. Such an encouraging verse. It says, if God is for us, who can ever be against us? 
Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has, what? Who's chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Um, years back, we had DirecTV, and one of the things I absolutely loved about DirecTV is we had DVR. Everybody know what DVR is? So awesome. Where you could record shows that you missed. And so a lot of our, you know, our life is in meetings and services and just all over the map doing different things. And so Lindsay and I very rarely ever watch anything live. Everything was always pre-recorded. And so one of the things I absolutely love DVR, though, for was for sports. So many of my games I could never watch live. And I always wanted to watch these games live. And so I would, you know, if we were at a church service, I would DVR them so when I get home I could watch them and then fast forward through all the commercials, which is awesome. Uh, That's really why DVR is awesome. (laughs) And so, but the worst part, though, was when I was here in church and the game had been like hours earlier and I had DVR'd it, and then I got here, and everybody else had watched it, but I hadn't watched it yet. You know, like, I would go like this all the time. I mean, I'm just like, don't talk to me. I don't expect any guys that would come up, and they'd be like smiling, like, why are you smiling? Don't be smiling. Did we win? Did we not? Don't tell me. I wouldn't turn on any radio. I wouldn't, I wouldn't check my phone because I wanted to get home so I could watch the game and experience the whole life of the game and the hits and all the drama and everything because the truth is if you only want to know the score just get the app but guys we don't want just the score we want to i want to see him take his head off okay i want to see that i want to see i want to see three seconds on the clock with you know 70 yards to go that's what i want to see and and it's funny because now i don't have dvr and sometimes i'll get to watch the games i get to watch the sports now i have other guys who dvr it and now i know the score and they don't and so I just ruin it for him. We won. And so, I, no, I don't do that. Um, but I want you to imagine this for a minute. There's a reason I bring all this up. So imagine, though, I have DVR'd the whole thing, and I'm walking out, and, and someone blurts it out. We won! What? I hate you. And then they go, yeah, yeah. Three seconds left. We kicked a field goal. What? And so now when I go home and I watch it, And we're in the second quarter, and they fumble the ball, and the guy runs it back for 90 yards, and now they're up by three touchdowns, the other team. Do I freak out? No. You know why? Because I know there's going to come down to this three seconds where we're going to hit this field goal, and we're going to win it all. I watch the game way differently now, knowing what the outcome already is. Security in Christ is this. I watch the game of life differently because I know what the outcome already is. By the way, if you read the end of the book, we win. It's in Revelations, by the way. I know you might want to read Revelations, but we win. And this verse actually tells us that God has purchased our freedom. That he has forgiven us of our sins. And so, listen. So, anything that happens in my life now, I know that God is in control and at the end we win. So, when you lose your job, you're like, ah! Well, that echoed. All right. (laughs) It's pretty cool. You don't freak out because you know at the end you're going to kick the field goal and win. I want to apply this to your life. I don't know how we're going to pay this bill. I don't know how we're going to do this. I don't know what this is going on in this relationship. Well, I just want you to know in the end, 
we win. And when you know that in the end, you're going to get to heaven, and in the end, life is going to be grander than what it is right now, no matter what you go through right here, you can walk through with total confidence, because in the end, we win. Are y'all with me? Or are you asleep? I just want to make sure here. Do you understand the truth of what this brings? Now, whenever anything comes your way and you get that diagnosis, in the end, we win. So I can walk through anything and not get freaked out. Oh, there's a fumble in the second quarter. It's okay, because I know in the end, we win. And this is what brings security. Because here's the truth. If what God starts, he finishes, if that's the truth, What God starts in me, he finishes. It doesn't matter what happens in between. Y'all with me here? This is the truth that we believe. Let me show you a verse. Jude 1, 24. Now all glory to God who is able to keep you from what? From what? Come on, isn't that a fear that we all have? Man, I fear that I'm going to fall away. I know I'm into this God thing, but I don't know if I'm really going to make it. I don't know. Well, hey, God is able to keep you from falling away. And he will bring you with great joy into his glorious presence without a single fault. Listen to me. You did not secure your salvation and you can't lose it because you didn't secure it because God pursued you. You didn't pursue him. He pursued you. He locked in on you and he's coming after you and he secured it. And so therefore he won't lose you. And that is security for us. Here's number three, power. Ephesians 1, 4 says, even before he made the world, God loved us and he chose us. Why did he choose us in Christ? Well, he chose us in Christ to be holy and he chose us to be without fault. Man, well, how do I do that, man? Because I don't feel really holy. Well, let's look what 1 Thessalonians says. We know, dear brothers and sisters, that God loves you and he has chosen you to be his own people. For when we brought you the good news, it was not only with words, but also with power. Power power. Anybody ever seen the show Fixer Upper? Y'all seen that show with Joanne and Chip Gaines? They, they go into these houses that are absolutely terrible. You look at them, you're like, oh my God, that is terrible. And by the end of the show, in 60 minutes, they have made this house one that you're like, I want it. I want that house. They have this incredible ability to take something that looks absolutely atrocious and make it such a gem. And they are incredible at fixing up houses. Well, this verse says that God has given us the power to be holy. And when you look at our house, our bodies, and who we are, oftentimes we want to play fixer-upper. We want to try to fix our marriages. We want to try to fix our lives. We want to try to fix our families. We want to try to fix our spouse. We want to try to fix our job. We want to try to fix things. But can I just tell you this? You don't have the tools or the resources to fix yourself. You don't. You're not a good fixer-upper. You would be the one that takes a house that looks awesome and make it look like a shack. That would be your gifting. That's how good we are. Like, look at me. I'm terrible. (laughs) That's my craftsmanship ability, by the way. You and I don't have the power to fix things. But that's also the good news because the burden of fixing things is now off of you. You don't have to fix yourself. Take that in for a minute. You don't have to fix yourself. If God started it, why would he not finish it? This is what we believe. We buy into this lie. God saved me. 
Now I've got to clean myself up. That's what we believe. We buy into it all the time. But let me ask you this. If God is powerful enough to save you, do you think he's powerful enough to clean you up? I think he is. The Bible says that he chose you so that you would be holy. Now, some of you are saying, man, my life is so scarred up. I've made so many mistakes. I have so many failures, so many flaws. There's no way that God would choose me. Let me give you an illustration. So, imagine you woke up in an ambulance. And the EMT is standing over you and says, hey, hey, Mr. Josh, Mr. Josh, hey, listen. You, you were in a very, very bad accident. You're not going to be able to move your legs. You're not going to be able to move your neck. I just want you to know it's, you're very critical right now. But we've got you taken care of. And if you just consent to let us continue to take care of you, I think you're going to be okay. In that moment, you and I have two options here. Option number one, we say, I consent. <laughs> take care of me. Thank you so much. Or option number two is stop the truck. Get me out of here. I don't want to, I don't want, I don't need any of your help. I don't need your help. I got this. As you're hobbling out, your neck all jacked up and your legs all done. Those are the two options you pretty much have. You can consent and let them fix you. Or you can tell them to stop, step out of the ambulance and try to fix yourself. Let me just say this. If you say stop and get out, you won't fix yourself, <laughs> right? I mean, you're going to be walking around hobbled and probably your leg going to fall off at some point. Something's going down. And yet, listen to me. And yet, I believe that many of you here today, think about this. You're here at church on a Sunday. You could be anywhere right now. Anywhere. And you're here And I think for some of you, you are being awoken in the ambulance and God is telling you, hey, I got this. I know it looks bad. You're a mess. Yeah, you're a bad mess right now. But don't worry because I'm mighty to save. I am mighty to fix. And all you've got to do is consent. Say, God, you got this. How, How much pressure does that get off of you now? Y'all with me here to not have to walk out of this place and go, man, I've got to, I've got to love people and I've got to get better and I've got to try this and I've got to do this. The gospel is not about doing more. The gospel is about believing more that God has done enough for you. Amen. This is the power that God gives us. And last one, number four, we'll wrap all this up is praise. Praise. Ephesians one, three says all praise. Underline that circle that all praise. I mean, the beginning of the book, Paul starts with praise, all praise to God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. Come on. How many, how many believe you're blessed? You are blessed. We are blessed. Ephesians one, five through six says, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself. Through Jesus Christ. Look at this whole thing of Jesus pursuing. He brought you. You didn't bring yourself. He brought you into his family. And this is, now watch this. This is so key. Soak this in. This is what he wanted to do. He wanted to do this. He wanted you in his family. 
Me? Yes, you. He wanted you in his family. Now look at this. And it gave him great pleasure. So we what? So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. You may think that you became a Christian because you studied Christianity and researched it and you finally decided I'm going to follow Jesus. And so you're a Christian now because you decided to follow Jesus. But can I just tell you, you're a Christian because God pursued you. You're a Christian because God drew you. You're a Christian because God came after you. And I think, honestly, the longer and longer you spend time with Jesus, the more years go by, the more you realize how bad you actually were and how much he really was pursuing you. When we first get saved, we think we did it all. We're like, ah, look, I did this. But as you get kind of in the years of walking with Jesus, two things happen. You start realizing how bad you actually were, and you start realizing how good God actually was. And so that is this chapter, this whole thing is focused on God, you were blind. You couldn't see. God gave you sight. You couldn't walk. God gave you strength. God pursued you. You've been on God's heart for all of eternity. He loves you. And I hope knowing that he has chosen you in Christ, you would be confident and secure, powerful. And at the end of all this, he would get the praise for it. He would get the praise for it. Would you bow your heads all across this place? The fact that you're here today shows that God is drawing you. And I believe maybe there's a number of you that you're realizing even maybe now that God is seeking you. And you're the one in the ambulance right now being awoken to the reality of, man, my life's a mess. I am a mess. And and God is coming to you And he just wants you to know, I can fix this. He is the ultimate savior. And the mess that we're in in our own lives is is sin. That's the mess, honestly. The greatest salvation that God gives us is he frees us from our own sin. He not only forgives us of our sins, but he, he frees us from it. And those of you maybe that are here today, and you've been wrestling with that for so long, are maybe there really hasn't been a confidence and security in knowing that you are saved. You don't have to raise your hand every weekend. It, it really only just comes out of the heart. In that moment, God can radically change your identity. Do you know if you're chosen or not? Well, today you don't have to walk out wondering. You can know today. So those are here, nobody looking around, say, Pastor Josh, I, I, I want to s- consent and surrender to God. Today's that day. If that's you, I want to give you that opportunity. And all across this room, if that's you, would you just kind of just raise your hand and just put it right down? Just right where there where you are. Okay. I see you two in the middle. I see you. I see you over here on the left. Thank you. Over there in the back. Thank you so much. Anybody else? I mean, this is the day. Thank you. Right there. I see you, man. We're going to make this. You're going to have so much confidence walking out of here. God loves you. He's chosen you. He's chosen you, but the truth is you've got to choose him. You've got to choose him. Anybody else? Okay. Thank you. Come on. Let's pray all this together. Say, dear heavenly father, thank you for sending Jesus 
Today, I acknowledge my own sin. And I repent. And I turn to you. I consent. My life is yours. Forgive me. Today, I live for you. And I surrender my life. Make me new. In Jesus' name. Amen.